Amen. Well, good morning, church. It is so, so very good to be with you here worshiping the Lord together. My soul needed that. Uh, There's something powerful about just hearing the saints gathered together, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, exalting the Lord in his holiness. And uh, the Lord is at work, and it's a joy to be gathered together and see the Lord working in our midst. And uh, now it's a joy to be able to open up God's word with you and to surrender our hearts to hear what the Holy Spirit of God would say through his word. And ultimately, every time we come to God's word, what we're praying, what we're hoping for is that the Lord would help us to know him more, to love him more, to trust him more, and to enjoy him more. And so that's what I've been praying and excited to get at that with you this morning. Uh, Before we jump into our passage for this morning, uh, I just wanted to take a second because last Sunday, uh, Pastor Doug was preaching from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 and 13, and that message was about uh, an on-the-move people in community. And in that passage, uh, we saw that it's calling out our people, calling out people to recognize and to highly regard its leaders, those who labor among us, those who are over us, those who admonish us in the Lord. And last week, Pastor Doug said this, Uh, You have been a dream church to pastor, a dream church to lead. Uh, This morning, since I have the opportunity to address you all in this setting, I just wanted to reiterate and affirm what Pastor Doug said last week. You, Harvest, are a kind and loving and generous and encouraging people. You go way, way out of your way to recognize and highly regard. And uh, I can just say, Katie and I, over the last five years that we've been here, uh, we've just sat back and there have been many conversations that we've had where we've said, uh, what a people, what a people that loves us so very, very, very well. And so we are grateful to the Lord for his kindness that he's been showing us through you. So this morning, uh, glory to God and thank you to you. Now, as we're coming to a close in our On the Move series, uh, we're into our last 15 verses here, and we're slowing down a bit, kind of taking it phrase by phrase. Uh, Last Sunday was On the Move as a People in Community, part one, and I was thinking all week and just praying, what can we title the message this week? And profoundly, I decided On the Move as a People in Community, part two. So... Here we go. Uh, This morning, as I've been thinking about it, what I'm kind of hoping happens here is that we can have a little bit of a team talk moment, a team talk where we uh, gather together, everyone who's on the team, and say, okay, let's go into the locker room together. Let's take a minute to review what's been going on in our lives, what's been going on in our community, and see how we can intentionally grow, how we can intentionally encourage one another to grow in our love and service of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this morning, uh, that's what we're doing. We're stepping into the locker room together, and we're going to put together a strategy for us to grow together as a team. Uh, Back in high school, which was about three years ago for me, uh, I played high school football. You're thinking to yourself right now, you look like a football player. I know. Uh, I was the kicker, actually, so what that meant is I'd go out to practice and kick the ball like three times and then go sit in the training room where the couch was, and it was tough to be the kicker, okay? And uh, what we would do, though, after our game days, we'd have game day, and then we'd come back together on Monday for practice, 
And uh, the first thing we would do is we'd go back up into the room and we would have game film. And so what we'd do is we would kind of zoom in and examine and look at different plays. And in high school football, you're not really so concerned about the other team and watching their game film because you're not that good. You can't figure that out. So you just look at your team. And you're watching how you're doing your techniques and the fundamentals and all that kind of stuff. And uh, usually you leave feeling super discouraged by all of the areas that you totally missed it. Well, this morning, I'm hoping that we can have a game film time where we can analyze our technique, put together some strategy. But I'm praying that we would leave extremely encouraged as we do that together. Now, here's the thing with sports. uh, The higher the level of play, the higher the stakes Uh, The higher the level of play, the more important it is for you to work together as a team. I mean, you look at uh, the kindergartners as they gather out on the soccer field and they all just kind of whatever they feel like doing. If they're picking flowers, that's great. If they're all running and killing each other for the ball, that's great too. Uh, But the more intense the sport gets, the more serious it gets, the more important it is to play together as a team. You have to operate with one another. And so it's important that you help your teammates to get better and to grow. On any team, we recognize that it's comprised of individuals. So if one individual grows, then the team gets better. Uh, Working together as a team, this community is all about the Lord's glory. The stakes don't get any higher. And so if we, Harvest, are to be a church that's on the move, a community that's on the move for the glory of God in the world then we also have to be an on-the-move kind of people here within our own community. So to do that, we're going to ask the Lord to help us in 1 Thessalonians 5. Our passage is verses 14 through 15. If you're not there yet, you can turn there. It's on page 988 in the Bibles that are in the back of the seats in front of you. We're going to pick up in verse 12, 1 Thessalonians 5, starting in verse 12. God's Word says this, We ask you, brothers... To respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. So, Father, this morning, would you please help us as we surrender our souls to your word? Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be working now through your word and that you would encourage the saints in this room this morning, that you would help us to be better equipped to love one another for your glory, for our joy, and for the joy of those around us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. What I want to do with the text this morning is I just want to begin by making a couple of general observations. And then once we have some general observations out on the table, we're going to zoom in and we're going to put together a specific strategy to help, to encourage, to challenge one another as teammates for the Lord's glory. So uh, general observation from our text this morning. The first one is this. Uh, Mutual ministry is essential. Mutual ministry is essential. Uh, What do I mean by that? I mean serving and caring for one another is an absolute must if we are going to be an on-the-move people in community. 
Uh, it's just an absolute essential. We see that here in the text that this urging, this teaching, this command, Paul says, is for the brothers. Look at verse 14. He says, and we urge you, brothers. And then he continues on. So what's not happening here is Paul is not restricting this to those in verses 12 through 13 where it's those who labor among or those who admonish us in the Lord. No, it's talking about all of the brothers and sisters, all of God's people within the church are to be doing these things. There's a sense of responsibility that each team member has for the whole. Uh, I remember I would always ask the question growing up, why is it that when one person on the team makes a silly mistake, the entire team has to suffer for it, right? Like you would get out to practice and coach would come out and he'd say, well, I learned today that Cody got a detention. So because of that, uh, everybody on the line were running suicide sprints until someone throws up. Ready, run until I'm tired, go. Uh, It's like, what in the world? Why does a whole team have to suffer because of one person's mistake? The idea of coming together and uh, not being responsible for one another and our growth in the Lord is something that's completely foreign to the New Testament, something that's foreign to the Scriptures. I mean, even just the whole phrase of, are you going to church? Are we coming to church? I understand what we're saying in that, but sometimes there's this idea that like church is this thing that happens from 9 to 12 on Sundays, and then if it's not going on at 9 to 12 on Sundays, then that's it, and we'll see you again next week. But with passages like this, uh, we see that we don't come to church, we don't go to church, we are the church. And we're the church all week, every day, at every moment, as we pour into and love and care and serve one another. Uh, When we are a part of a church, we're not part of a church in that we're spectators, and we just come and, I wonder what's going to happen up on the stage this morning. We don't come and say, oh, I wonder what I'm going to get from it this morning. No, we come and we say, oh God, would you give me opportunities to love and to serve and to care for my brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, This passage envisions a people that are in genuine community, that they're involved in, and that they're speaking into one another's lives. By the way, that's a mega, mega uncomfortable reality, isn't it? Uh, That God would charge us, that God would call us to be Uh, intentionally coming into one another's lives and have a willingness to have some really awkward conversations. Like when you see something going on in your brother or sister's life, you have two options. Option one is you can turn a blind eye and just say, I'm just going to pretend like I didn't see that and go about my merry life. Or option two is we can say, okay, wait a minute. I have a responsibility for what's going on. And I need to enter in in love and begin to care for them and help them as they pursue after the Lord. This is true not just for those who need to be confronted, but it's also true for those who need to be comforted. It can be just as challenging to say, hey, I need to interrupt my life. I need to put some other things on pause because right now my brother or sister in Christ is struggling and I just got to set that aside so that I can enter in and love them and care for them. Are we as a church, as a people on the move in community, are we willing to say the hard things? Are we willing for life to be interrupted so that we can enter in? See, sometimes in relationship, we think that the path of least resistance is far to be preferred, but it often results in increased resistance the longer that it persists. We'll say, well, 
That's their problem. Really? No, as a team, as brothers and sisters in Christ that are about the Lord's glory, no, their problem is my problem and my problem is their problem when we're entering in together on mission, on point for the Lord. So it's not their problem, it's our problem so that the Lord might be glorified. So the first general observation we see in the text is that mutual ministry, the call in this passage is for all brothers, all sisters that are in the body to be caring for one another. Second general observation, uh, different people are in different places. Different people are in different places. Without getting into the specifics, we can see from the text in verses 14 that uh, there are some who are idle, some who are faint-hearted, and some who are weak. Uh, Every person in the church that we enter into relationship with is in a unique place. And people are not all the same. We don't all have the same struggles. We don't have the same strengths. We don't have the same personalities, the same giftings, the same circumstances. And even if we do, we don't respond to them in the exact same way. So different people are in different places. And if we try to enter in and love and care for everyone, like they're all in the same place, uh, that can be really, really harmful and not very helpful at all. So how do I know where someone is? How do I know if they fit in one of these three categories or some other category? How do I discern that? It takes time, doesn't it? It takes time invested being with those people, sharing my life with those individuals. It doesn't just take time, but it also takes listening. I have to ask questions and I have to hear their hearts and hear what's going on in their soul and what are their concerns and what are the things that they're struggling with or what are the questions that they're asking. I have to observe what's going on in their life. Proverbs 18.2 says, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Don't we do that sometimes? Somebody's going through something, I know exactly what's going on with them and this is exactly what they need to hear. And they're like, Okay, thanks for that, I think. Uh, Different people in different places, and we discern that by spending the time, by listening, and by observing. Uh, Different people are in different places, and different people are in different places at different seasons. Now, I don't think that this is in the text, okay? But I do think that it's a helpful, and I hope... Uh, an observation that will enable us to be able to love and serve one another in community. So it's not in the text, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but uh, I think it's a a life observation to say that the person who's idle isn't always idle. The person who's faint-hearted isn't always faint-hearted. The person who's weak isn't always weak. And so I don't enter into somebody's life situation a month later assuming that they're exactly where they were when I talked to them a month ago. No, I have to go in every time that I seek to love and encourage and ask and wait and have the time and observe. Perhaps they're in a season of idleness, but next week maybe they'll be faint-hearted. And it's not always that simple, is it? Like maybe somebody is idle because they're faint-hearted. Then what do I do? I don't know. It can be very, very complex, and so we don't want to walk into conversations, into caring for other people, assuming that everyone is exactly where we left them the last conversation that we had. So different people in different places, different people at different places for different seasons. Next general observation, all people in all places need patience. 
All people in all places need patience. Look at the very end of verse 14. It says, be patient with them all. Love takes time. Relationships take time. Change in somebody's life takes time. People will start down the right path and then they'll stop and they'll progress and they'll regress and they'll be going, going, going and it's like, this is great, this is great and then all of a sudden it's like, what happened? Some things take a conversation and they're sorted out. Many things take many conversations, much prayer and require great patience. God's word calls us to be patient with them all. Our son Asher Uh, He is almost four years old, and he's at that stage where uh, he can start getting himself dressed. I don't know if right around four is normal for that, if some of you guys are like, whoa, you missed the boat on that. Uh, But, uh, so what we started doing here over the last several months is we lay out Asher's clothes for him in such a way so that he can get them on, right? So we try and set him up for success. So we lay his shirt down upside down, and all he has to do is kind of lift up the flap and stick his little head in, and uh, it has been a journey, It has been a journey watching Asher learn to put his shirt on. Uh, Sometimes he can't even get his head in the flap and he just gets really frustrated. And then I'm trying to be patient with his impatience. Sometimes he gets it on, he's so excited, and then through the armhole, his little head, right? Uh, Sometimes he gets it on, and this is the worst. He gets it on, he gets his arms through, but then it's all like curled up up here and he's like trying to rip it down, but he can't quite get it. And he's just freaking out and upset and impatient with the whole thing. And it's like... Oh my goodness, hey, when we started, like, I don't know, six months ago with this, uh, he was not really good at putting his own shirt on, but he's getting much, much better, and I think by the time he's 30, he's going to have it nailed down, (laughs) and even then, uh, he might put his shirt on backwards sometimes, because we all do that, right? We need to be patient, learning, growing, changing takes time and why would we expect anything different when it comes to our hearts it's the exact same as a four-year-old learning to put his shirt on it takes time we have to learn to be patient with our brothers and sisters in christ Uh, one more general observation love and care relationship it's not a formula love and care relationship is not a formula There's a danger for us to see mutual ministry and genuine care as this formulaic, oh, they're this, so then I just have to do steps one, two, and three, and everything will be better. Or, okay, as I look and I observe and I figure out they're about two parts faint-hearted, one part idle, and so let me concoct this perfect ministry thing, and they're going to be fixed in no time. Loving and caring for other people is not a formula. It's not an exact science, but God's word does give us help as we seek to love, encourage, and care for one another. It gives us direction. And so with these general observations on the table, it's now time for us to zoom in and see some specific strategy. Some specific strategy for looking at the game film, zooming in on the picture and saying, okay, where is it now? that the Lord would help us as we love and care for one another. So uh, here on the screen, if you can just imagine yourself, uh, go back one slide, sorry. Uh, This guy over here, all the way on the right, uh, that's you. He's in the back of the boat, but really he's in the front of the boat because the boat's going that way. And he's looking at these three other guys that are in front of him. These are his teammates, 
And what he's doing is he's studying their form. He's observing what's going on with them. He's listening to them as they go throughout practice and as they work it out on the water. He's observing them, spending time with them. He knows them really, really well. Now, all three of these people that are in front of him are in different places during this particular season. Uh, Three different people in three different places. Now, as we talk about these three different people, uh, realize these are not exhaustive, but they are exemplary. So I want to give a couple of disclaimers as we step into this portion. And if uh, a couple people want to join me up here, that would be fantastic. Uh, A couple of disclaimers. The first, uh, I had no specific individuals in my mind when I wrote these. Uh, The situations described might be present in your life, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's representative of your heart. What I tried to do here is write some caricatures, uh, some larger than life, kind of blow it up, make it a big, big thing. So uh, play along a little bit, have a little bit of fun with these, and let me introduce you to a couple of our teammates. The first one is Rebellious Ronnie. The text says that he's idle. Rebellious Ronnie says that he's idle. You can see in your footnote, maybe for some of you, it says that he's either disorderly or undisciplined. Uh, In Thessalonica, these were the people that quit working, mooched off of others in the church. They were able to work. They knew that they should work, but they refused to work. Hence, they were rebellious. Ronnie? At home, his conversations with his wife are full of justifications as to why he's not fulfilling his responsibilities. He just wants some hard-earned time for himself. He retreats to the garage or the basement, turns on the game, and does not want to be interrupted or lectured. (sighs) Ronnie has been part of the church for a while, okay? He knows his Bible fairly well. He's heard God's word preached every Sunday. He even used to be in a small group. He stepped away because he wasn't really getting anything from small group and, frankly, didn't appreciate being asked about how much time he spends being with and serving his family. Over the past several months, you've noticed that Ronnie has not only stepped out of small group, but he's stopped serving and his weekend worship attendance is sporadic. And when he does come, he's usually pretty critical of the experience. He's a real peach. Uh, (laughs) Ronnie is a rebellious idler. He knows what he should do, but he's decided that he's simply not going to do it. He'd rather sit back, remain uninvolved in his family and with his church community, while other people are faithfully serving and using the gifts that the Lord has given them, and he would rather sit back and just critique them instead of jumping in to build up the body. Ronnie's problem is not that he lacks information, it's that he refuses to use what the Lord has already given him. Next, we have uh, faint-hearted Fran. Faint-hearted Fran. Fran is tired. No, exhausted. She has tried and tried and tried again, only to come up short. Her efforts are never enough She always feels like the Lord is disappointed with her. Fran has four children, and two of them are struggling in school to make friends and good grades. She sees this as yet another personal failure. 
Her husband really loves her and the kids, but his work has been more demanding than ever lately, which has brought many lonely nights. She helped disciple another lady several months ago, but it seemed like it ended in utter failure. The lady stopped responding to her calls and her texts, and she avoids Fran when she sees her. This is not the first time a relationship attempt of hers has ended this way. She looks around at all the other ladies at church, and she sees them engaged in what she believes is vibrant ministry. She wonders, what do I have to offer the Lord or others? Wouldn't it just be easier to to pull back and hide a little? Fran is discouraged. Fran really, really loves the Lord, and she loves others, but the pressures of life are weighing in on her soul. She feels crushed, insignificant, and is just hurting right now. Fran knows what she should do, but she feels like she just can't do it. Thanks, Fran. Last one is weak Wilbur. Uh, Rebellious Ronnie, faint-hearted Fran, and now weak Wilbur. Wilbur is immature. He's an immature Christian. Don't get me wrong. He's excited about being in church. But he's also nervous. Excuse me. He doesn't know very much because he didn't grow up in church like most of you did. He hears like all these different things about the Lord and the Christian life. But I'm going to be honest. They scare him to death. They frighten this guy. There's a lot that he does not know. And the little that he does know, he doesn't understand. This guy doesn't get it. He is intimidated by all of the spiritual giants in this church. Especially that one. Not that one. He doesn't speak up a lot, but sometimes he says and he does things that really don't, like, match his profession of being a Christian. Wilbur is weak. Uh, He doesn't know what it means to be a Christian or to faithfully follow Jesus, but he really wants to. He doesn't have the church vocabulary down, and his thoughts are usually unclear when he expresses them. Wilbur is young in the faith and he's unsure of what life in Christ really means. So, these three, rebellious Ronnie, faint-hearted Fran, and weak Wilbur. How is it that you and I, as brothers and sisters in Christ, in their church, in their community, step in and begin to help them, to love them, to serve them, and to point them towards seeking and serving the Lord? How do we enter into these people's lives for their good, for the good of the team, and ultimately for the Lord's glory? Uh, Look at the text, verse 14. It says, we urge you, brothers, first to admonish the idol. Admonish the idol. Uh, This is the same term that's taken from verse 12. It says that the leaders in the church are to admonish, and then it says that you, brothers and sisters, are to admonish 
one another. This is to instruct one another in a way that brings about change or correction, to warn one another, and when necessary, to rebuke. I think sometimes we hear this phrase, admonish the idol, warn, rebuke, and it's like, okay, if somebody's idle, then I gotta like come in at a 10 and just crush them. Um, no, <laughs> don't do that. You come in humbly. You come in with a heart filled with love, and you come in as a learner first. Uh, the right thing said in the wrong way is wrong. The right thing said in the wrong way is wrong. So sometimes you may have to say some uncomfortable things to these rebellious or idle people, and sometimes they may even be offensive, but do we say them with a heart filled with grace and humility? Paul gives us a perfect example of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14. Uh, he's talking to the Corinthians about their attitude and the way that they're viewing life, and he makes some pretty serious remarks towards them, but then he writes this. He says, I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you, to admonish you as my dear children. Oh, that that would be our hearts as we come in and we discern that somebody's in a place of being idle or rebellious. Would we come in that says, I don't want to shame you. I want to love you. Something like, Ronnie, I love you so much, brother, and I can see how your actions or sometimes your lack of action is beginning to hurt those around you. This isn't going anywhere good, man. I know what it's like to love and to serve others, and I so desperately want that for you. Ronnie, that's why God created you. And if you keep going the way that you're going, the Lord's not going to receive glory from your life. And you might permanently damage the relationships that are most important and most dear to you. You may even find yourself to be very, very lonely. So Ronnie, I love you, brother. Turn. Seek the Lord. Be faithful. What do we do with those who are rebellious? First, we warn them lovingly. What do we do with those who are rebellious, who are idlers? We warn them lovingly. Secondly, we have faint-hearted Fran. She's discouraged. How do I begin to enter into faint-hearted Fran's life? Well, I encourage her. I console her. I listen to her. I give her a hug and I cry with her. I remind the discouraged of what is true because oftentimes they're living in the world of what ifs and if onlys. And so instead I point to what is true. I point them to the hope that they have in Jesus and the promise that they have in a glorious future because of Jesus. I remind them that if they're in Christ, their struggle, their current set of circumstances has a definite expiration date, either at some point in this life or certainly in eternity when the Lord Jesus Christ says that he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. I be tender and I comfort. Sometimes the very best thing to do with faint-hearted Fran is to be with her and to keep my mouth shut. Fran, the Lord loves you I love you, I'm here with you, and I'm not going anywhere. What do we do with the faint-hearted? We give them hope. We give them hope. With the rebellious, we warn them lovingly. With the faint-hearted, we give them hope, and then we have the weak. Uh, what do we do with the weak? Again, in verse 14, it says that we're to help the weak. Uh, we don't 
enter in with frustration at their lack of knowledge. It's not talking about being physically weak uh, or anything like that. It's talking about uh, just not knowing and not being very far mature in their walk with the Lord. So we're not critical of their improper vocabulary. We don't abandon them as stragglers. No, we come next to them as strugglers. The term that we have in this text here can also be where it says help the weak. It can be translated as be devoted to or cling to or hold fast to the weak. So what do you do? You commit yourself to them as a person and to their growth in the Lord. You hold fast to them. You advocate for them. You teach them who the Lord is and you help them grow in their knowledge of the truth. Something like Wilbur I'm so thrilled that you've come to a place where you're seeking after Jesus. And I'm so excited about the work that the Lord has recently been doing in your life. Hey man, would you be willing to get together like once every week for breakfast so that I can talk to you about how the Lord has worked in my life and I can help you understand what it means to know Jesus and to love Jesus and to serve Jesus? What do we do with weak Wilbers? We commit ourselves to them. We commit ourselves to the weak. We hold fast to them. What we see in the text here is different people in different places during different seasons. Rebellious Ronnie knows what he should do, but he's refusing to do it. So you enter in and you warn him lovingly. Faint-hearted Fran knows what she should do, but she feels like she just can't. She's tired. She's in the pit of despair. You give her hope. Weak Wilbur is just young. He's immature. He really wants to grow, but he just needs help. And so you commit yourself to him. Church, this is what it looks like to be a 1 Thessalonians 2, 8 kind of people that are entering in and sharing our lives and sharing the gospel with our brothers and sisters in this community. Now think about this for a second. What would be the danger of taking the wrong approach with the wrong person? I mean, can you just imagine how crushing it would be if you entered into a conversation with somebody who's faint-hearted and you came in admonishing them, warning them. We have to be sensitive to what's going on in one another's lives and enter in with that knowledge and with that level of care. We need to know that different people are in different places for different seasons, and we can only discern that by asking them questions, spending time with them, listening to them, and praying that the Lord would help us. Then and only then are we in a position to really love and serve one another well. Oh, and by the way, as we've been talking about how we enter into other people's lives, what about you? Where are you this morning? Are you one of these rebellious, faint-hearted, weak? Not just which one are you, but who are you going to tell about it? Which of your brothers and sisters in Christ in this community, in this church family, are you going to say, hey, This is just where I'm at right now and I need your help. I need you to enter in and help. As imperfect people that are by God's grace trying to grow, we may find ourselves in one or all three of these categories. That's a reason that God has given us brothers and sisters in Christ and called us to do this life together. So don't hide your imperfections and try and sort them out on your own. Instead, invite other people in. 
I remember when I was young, new in Christ, and I remember some of the men that the Lord faithfully and kindly brought into my life, my soccer coach, my principal in high school, my on-campus pastor, uh, some other men, a Bible teacher of mine. These guys came in, and they committed themselves to me when I was weak and immature and knowing what it meant to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, When I came here five years ago, I was weak and immature in understanding how to serve the Lord as a pastor. And I remember for those first several years, Eric and Pastor Doug, they committed themselves to me and they helped me and they were with me and helped me to know how to better serve the Lord. I remember when Katie and I went through a season of being faint-hearted and being with our small group leaders, Ben and Sarah Cook, we sat in their living room and talked about what was going on in our lives and they cried with us and prayed with us. Uh, Others of our friends sat down in our living room at home with us and cried and prayed with us when we were going through one of those seasons. Uh, It's okay to be in one of these places, and we're going to be in these places as followers of Christ, so let's, as a community, enter in and help one another to grow for the Lord's glory. And as we do it, we enter in with complete patience. Maybe the people that you've been working with for a while, maybe they're still sticking their head through the armhole. You're like, would you just get it right, man? Uh, Maybe they've thrown their shirt across the room and they're like, forget this whole thing. I just want out. So what do you do? You enter in and by the power of the Holy Spirit working through you and with the truth from God's word, you come into their lives and you love them and you care for them and you work it out as teammates patiently, ongoing, not giving up, not throwing a fit and shaking them and saying, why won't you just get it? More of your time, more of your energy. But hey, as a team that's going after the glory of God, it's totally worth it. Totally worth it. Well, we have one more verse, verse 15, and this first one's taking us 38 minutes. The second one is gonna be much, much shorter, and all God's people said... I'm glad no one said hallelujah. Uh, Verse 15 says, See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good unto one another and to everyone. If we're going to be on the move as a people in community, then there is going to be conflict. It necessarily involves conflict. Meaningful relationships will always have disagreements, frustrations, and misunderstandings. You will be sinned against by your brothers and sisters in Christ in this community. And you will sin against your brothers and sisters in this community. What the text is telling us here is you have two choices. You can either be reactive or you can be proactive in your relationships in this community. Will I be proactive or reactive when I'm sinned against or when I sin against others in this community? It says in the text that we're either repaying anyone evil for evil or we're intentionally seeking to do good unto them. So it's not enough to have a passive non-retaliation. Instead, I'm intentionally seeking and striving after doing good unto my brothers and sisters. And what if we continued to just grow in this one area. I believe as a church, by God's grace, we are doing really, really well at this. And I want to encourage you and affirm you as a church to continue to faithfully enter in to one another's lives and not just respond, but intentionally seek to do good unto one another. 
So here's the picture that Paul paints in this text. It's a picture of a church on the move where every member of the team is committed to one another, where the members on the team are involved in meaningful relationships, where they're taking the time to consider what's going on in their brother and sister's lives, and they're wondering how they can order their life to love them and to serve them right where they are in whatever season they find themselves in with great patience. Now, is the end goal of all of this just to have better, more moral people? A couple chapters ago, 1 Thessalonians 2.12, Paul says, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you, listen, to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and his own glory. This passage, verses 14 and 15, this is about exhorting, encouraging, and charging one another to walk in a manner worthy of God. It's about living as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. It's about a people on the move for the glory of God in our church and for the glory of God in the world around us. So Father, we come to you this morning knowing that uh, you are a good and gracious and merciful and patient God. And Jesus, we rejoice in the great salvation that you have given to us. And we say thank you for calling us out of darkness and into your glorious light that we might be a people together that are about proclaiming your excellencies both here in our church and in the world around us. Father, we know that a very good gift you've given to us is one another. And so, Lord, help us not to neglect this good gift that you've given us in one another. Oh, God, I pray that we would be a church, a people that is on the move together as a community, each one of us genuinely caring and taking the time and efforts and energy in our lives to enter into one another's lives. God, we know that this is about far more than just what happens in this room. God, this is about something that is eternal and infinite, and it's your glory. And so we want that to be on display in our midst. God, all of this that we've been talking about this morning is not something that we try even for a second to go about doing in our own efforts, in our own strength, in our own wisdom. No, God, we cast ourselves at your feet in complete dependence and say, oh God, would you help us? And Holy Spirit, would you empower us to love one another and to care for one another in this way? And in doing it, God, would you receive much, much glory. All for the fame of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.